Let us pray. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may the spirit of God rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. The Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Micah, chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, and may be found on page 849 and 850 of your pew Bible. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of the kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be the one of peace. The word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, uh, the first chapter, verses 26 through 49. So listen now for the word of God to the church on this fourth Sunday of Advent. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, 
and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I was greeting people after the service last Sunday, someone, I can't remember who it was, suggested that I may be interested in an article that had run in the Post and Courier that morning. So that's about all that I remembered about that conversation. I'm sure they kind of explained a little bit more about what the article was about, but I honestly couldn't remember what it was. So I went to Trish in the church office, and I said, I need your help. Can you just go and look for this article? And I didn't even really know what to tell her that she was looking for. So I just kind of guessed. You know, I said, just look for something that has to do with a pastor or a church or faith or something. You know, and I figured, just see what's in there. So she came back to me with a printed out uh, paper and said, I think I might have found it. And I looked at the piece of paper she was holding and I knew she had found it uh, because the title of the story in the paper was How to Be a Good Neighbor in Charleston as a Transplant, right? (laughs) So if there was ever an article written for me, this was it. This had to be it. And it did not disappoint Uh, There was all kinds of good advice in there. The writer talked about kind of Charleston's longstanding wariness of outsiders, and he said it probably started even before carpetbaggers started rolling in after the Civil War. And he also told a story that many of you probably know about that poor hapless whale that wandered into Charleston Harbor back in the 1800s only to be pursued relentlessly by harpoon-wielding hunters until that whale couldn't run and evade them anymore. And then the slaughtered whale's bones were dried out and then they were hung up in the Charleston Museum where they continue to hang today. And shortly after they were there, a Citadel cadet from Florida gazed up at that whale skeleton, and he mused aloud that the whole thing seemed to him a perfect metaphor for Charleston's relationship to the outsider, right? (laughs) And the rest of the article was full of really pretty good advice, and it was honestly very helpful about how people who are from off can decrease their own chances of getting harpooned and strung up in somebody's entrance hall. But the experience of Mary in the first chapter of Luke reminds us that Advent speaks very directly and very hopefully to people who are from off. The evangelist tells us that when Gabriel visited Mary, he greeted her initially like royalty, greetings favored one. He said, the Lord is with you. And then Luke says that Mary was very perplexed by these words, that she pondered what in the world this greeting might be. In other words, Mary kind of wondered if the angel had the wrong address. She didn't feel so favored. 
To suggest that Mary, a poor peasant girl without two shekels to rub together, was somehow favored, it made no sense to her. She was from a tiny town that nobody talked about very much. It was a town that was dominated by Herod, a violent puppet king who was propped up by Roman military power. She spoke Aramaic, but her voice would have mattered very little to the power brokers who spoke their own languages. The soldiers, Latin, the merchants, Greek, the priests in the synagogue spoke Hebrew. As a peasant, her family would have eked out a meager living through farming, maybe some basic services like carpentry. Her family and others like it would have comprised about 90% of the population, which meant that it was their taxes, the taxes that they struggled to pay, that kept most of the government running and really also feathered the nests of the rich. And yet here she is with an angel in her room, being told that she would bear a son who would someday be a king, Suddenly, Mary has one foot in a completely different world, a world of favor, a world of holiness, a world of blessing. Great things were in store for Mary, or so she was told. At the same time, a pregnancy out of wedlock could not have seemed like good news to her. It would have been more than a scandal. It could be a life-threatening sentence in her culture, depending on how her fiancé reacted. This girl, barely a teen, was being pulled in two different directions by very contrasting worlds. Francisco Garcia Treto is a Presbyterian professor of religion at Trinity College in Texas. He's written extensively about his experience as a Cuban-American. Like many in our country, he is heavily influenced both by his ethnic roots and by his American citizenship and experience. And while this reality deepens his life and makes it richer, his biculturalism also means that he never quite feels at home. And he describes the experience as, and I quote, living on the hyphen. He is both Cuban and American, but like the hyphen in the term Cuban-American, Francisco feels like he is caught somewhere in the middle. He lives in two worlds at once, feeling a bit like an outsider in both of them. This hyphenated cultural experience is an increasingly common reality in our nation. All the way back in 1991, when uh, Francis Taylor Ginch, who's a Bible professor at Union Presbyterian Seminary, when she first began teaching about multiculturalism in the church, she discovered that at that time, one out of every four Americans claimed a bicultural hyphenated ethnicity in our census data. Today, that number has climbed much higher as the melting pot of our nation continues to become more and more diverse. And today, some are even claiming that when we take into consideration blended families and marriages, that more than half of all Americans now claim a multicultural identity of one kind or another. In other words, more and more people seem to be living on the hyphen. Mary certainly understood what that was like. 
In one sense, Mary was tethered to a difficult, mundane, and very earthly life, the life of a peasant girl with little or no power, little or no voice, and little or no control over any aspects of her life. In another sense, she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. She would be the vessel by which the God of heaven and earth would enter the world. She is socially and economically poor. But at the same time, much has been written about the fact that it was her spiritual poverty, her humility, that made her perfectly receptive to God's will. Her lack of worldly responsibilities opened her up to amazing divine possibilities. And she is now living on the hyphen between heaven and earth. That, however, would only be a foretaste of the hyphenated identity of the son who will soon be born to her. The angel promises he will be great, that he will be called the son of the most high, that God will give him David's throne, that as king he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. At the same time, that Messiah will also be despised and rejected, a man of suffering, acquainted with grief. He will live to bear our infirmities and carry our diseases. He will be wounded for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquities. Upon him will be laid the punishment that makes us whole. By his bruises will be healed. Even so, the world will still refuse to honor or follow him. The world will account him stricken, will even call for his affliction and his death, and that is what the world will get. And he will go willingly and silently, Scripture says, as a lamb is led to the slaughter. In some, Mary's son will be born a man like us as someone who gets hungry, gets tired, gets impatient, and even sometimes gets cranky. He will grow up to be tempted like us. He will make dangerous friends and enemies like we sometimes do, and he will even die like us. At the very same time, in Christ, God will be with us. In his birth, Shirley Guthrie writes, His birth will be nothing less than the radical invasion of God into the kind of real world where we live all year long. Or to use Eugene Peterson's translation of John 1.14 from the message, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. In him, God came from off into our world. In him, God came willingly and completely, even if it meant that he would be tormented by the harpoonists and hunters of this world, and he would accept their spears, and he would allow himself to be strung up before them because it was the only way to save them. Such a miraculous gift could only be given by someone who truly lived on the hyphen between humanity and divinity, between earth and heaven. 
But actually, Christ did more than that. Our Celtic ancestors in the faith would often speak of thin places, locations where heaven and earth seemed particularly close together, places where the divine seemed to be a little nearer than in other places. The Iona community in Scotland, for example, has often been called a thin place. For many of us, Montreat up in the mountains is a place where the presence of God seems closer, maybe a little bit more accessible. But I would argue that the person of Jesus Christ is really the only place, the only time, the only situation when the boundary between heaven and earth was completely dissolved. In Christ, the world of the divine and the world of the human were not just brought near to one another. In him, those worlds came together completely and coexisted in perfect harmony. So the person of Jesus was not a thin place, nor can Jesus really be said to have lived on the hyphen. In him, the hyphen collapsed and disappeared entirely. This, I think, is the true miracle of the incarnation, the true miracle of Christmas, that in Christ, heaven and earth became one. We, however, still live on the hyphen. Christ has come to us. Christ's righteousness continues to claim us and lift us and mold us and shape us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But you know and I know very well that there is still a distance between us and heaven. We are earthbound. We can get sick. We can get hurt. We can let people down and hurt them. We can make the same mistakes over and over and over again. We are still stuck in the middle between darkness and light, between sin and grace. And at some point, we will die. We have come from dust, and to dust we shall return. So at some point in salvation history, a Hebrew psalmist was pondering all of this, and it led him to this one question Oh, Lord, what are human beings that you even regard them? What are mortals that you even think of them? They are like a breath. Their days are like a passing shadow. And yet, at the same time, we are also highly favored. That was the good news that was lifted up by another psalmist who was pondering the same questions. And that psalmist wrote, O Lord, when I look at your heavens, when I look at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've established, what are human beings that you're mindful of them? Mortals that you even care for them. Yet you have made them a little lower than God. And crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet. This tension is what I think it means for us to live on the hyphen in Christ. 
As far as heaven is concerned, we earthbound folks are all from off. We're all strangers to the covenants of promise. We're all aliens and interlopers in the presence of God's righteousness. But the promise of the gospel is that in Christ Jesus, those of us who are far away have been brought near. So on this fourth Sunday of Advent, let us join our voices with Mary's. As favored ones, may our souls magnify the Lord. May our spirits rejoice in God our Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servants. For the Mighty One has done great things for you and for me, and holy is his name. Thanks be to God.